welcome to Living Freely Podcast, where our mission is to provide you with down-to-earth topics on mental wellness and realistic tips for living life more balanced and achieving optimal mental health. Living Freely Podcast is brought to you by Norfolk, Virginia Public Libraries and is hosted by myself, Rachel Ann Dine, licensed professional counselor with 15 years in the mental health field and very passionate about providing you with realistic strategies. With new episodes coming out weekly. Join in as I tackle relevant topics for personal growth, one podcast episode at a time. Be well and live well. Hi, welcome back to Living Freely. I am so happy that you're here today. This episode is definitely a major, major issue that can pop up from time to time. And unfortunately, Sometimes it's hard to point out and recognize. And so today we are talking all about understanding what narcissism is, as well as how to spot narcissistic abuse. And then I will, of course, provide you with some tips, tools, and strategies for learning how to work through narcissistic abuse. Before we unpack this very, very powerful episode today, I am really, really, you know, grateful and somewhat in disbelief that our season two of Living Freely is starting to wrap up. This is our second to last episode of this season, and I cannot thank you enough as a listener for tuning in. I really, really hope that you have enjoyed the information that we have shared, that I have shared. I am so grateful to Norfolk Public Library and, of course, Miss Patricia Kendalls, who really was instrumental. I mean, this was her brainchild, and I'm just so glad that I have been able to provide some of this information to you, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. So we do have our season finale coming up next week, and I'll be sharing some you know, really inspirational, what I feel are feel-good techniques and strategies just to round out season two. But let me go ahead and get back to our subject matter topic at hand. This is a big one, and it is going to take a lot of unpacking. And so I will go ahead and preface this topic today with the fact that if you start to recognize that these symptoms, signs have occurred in your life, then highly, highly encourage you to seek out individual counselor who can help you process through and even learn to recognize if these traits are continuing to present themselves in your current relationship, whether it's with a family member, whether it is with a romantic partner or even a friendship. But this is not something that even I will say a podcast is going to um, provide treatment for. Of course, you know, none of living freely is necessarily a means of treatment. But because narcissistic abuse is one of those multi-layered and complex situations, I do really have to impress upon you to visit www.psychologytoday.com. If you are ready and willing to unpack some situations that have occurred in your life for in the individual counseling setting or by Googling um, therapy near me. And then there's also therapyden.com and goodtherapy.org as well as visiting your health insurance website to see a provider near you who accepts your health insurance benefits if you have benefits and want to use them. 
because the nature of this topic is, as I've already said, complex, but I do, I do, I cannot put it out there enough that I want you to get the support that you need. So with that being said, I want to start by first bringing a level of awareness on how narcissistic personality disorder looks. And so I'm pulling some of these symptoms from mayoclinic.org. I want to share these with you because I want you to have a good knowledge base on the first and foremost, what is narcissistic personality disorder? Um, and then from there, we're going to, I'm going to be ta targeting narcissism from the viewpoint of you being the person who has experienced narcissistic abuse. Because sometimes, as you will come to learn, it can come, you know, unaddressed or unnoticed or denied because it can be a little bit insidious and not come all out at once if you're in a relationship with somebody who is narcissistic. So some of these symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder can present themselves in this way. So a person who is narcissistic can have an exaggerated sense of self-importance have a sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration. If you attempt to provide constructive criticism to someone who's narcissistic, they can often have a backslide in mood, attitude, um, start to, in a way, emotionally punish you. So that's another tenant. Um, somebody with narcissism expects to be recognized as superior. Even if they don't have any achievements that warrant any recognition, they will often exaggerate achievements and talents, be very preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or that they are the perfect mate. So there's a total lack of ownership that they make mistakes, that they may have shortcomings, and typically in arguments, they will refuse to take accountability or responsibility for doing something wrong, which then only inserts doubt and confusion in you who maybe is in a relationship with somebody like this. Um, we're going to get more into that, though, so let me not jump too far ahead. Someone with narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic traits will have this belief that they're superior and can only associate with equally special people. They have a tendency to monopolize and take over conversations and belittle or look down on people who they perceive as inferior. Oh, I, I just, as I'm reading this, it's Narcissism is something I am super passionate about bringing awareness to because a lot of times somebody who's narcissistic, they can get into positions of power because they are so artful with taking over a conversation or acting superior that somebody who's not aware of what's going on, these things can get missed. And so just the more that you know, knowledge is power. So just remember... Narcissistic folks will monopolize those conversations. They will belittle. Uh, they will sometimes expect special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations. So as you can see, this can really come forward in parent-child relationships. 
This can come forward in romantic relationships. They think that what they say is the final word and you should just comply with it and not have anything to say. The other uh, criteria and things that can present themselves in someone who is narcissistic is that there is a pattern of them taking advantage of others to get what they want. There's also an inability or even unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others. They can become very envious of others and believe that others envy them because they're so brilliant and they bring so much to the table. So of course other people would want what they have and maybe others are out to get them. Narcissistic personality disorder folks can also behave in an arrogant or haughty manner, coming across as conceited, boastful, and pretentious, insist on having the absolute best of everything, so the best car or the best office, and this, you know, as you can see, these are all very tied together. When somebody feels superior to everyone else, of course, they're going to feel that they deserve special treatment, they have done nothing wrong, they expect special favors, they're only going to associate with certain other people who they feel are worthy of their attention, which can be very manipulative, especially if you have found that you're in a romantic relationship with someone like that because initially they can really bestow all of these compliments on you, make you feel like you're very unique and special and they've chosen you. But it's all a means to, in many ways, control a situation so that they can get what they want. We're going to get into that though. I keep wanting to jump ahead, but I got to stay on this current Uh, recognition of these traits first because I want you to feel empowered to understand narcissistic personality disorder and traits of narcissism. So I alluded to the fact that people who are narcissistic have a lot of trouble handling anything that they perceive as criticism. So you can imagine that relationships can be very strained because when you're in a relationship, whether it's between a parent and a child or your romantic partner, there are going to be times where the other person is wrong. And if you bring it up with that person, they can become very impatient. If so, if you bring it up with a person who's narcissistic, they can become very impatient or even angry when they don't receive that special treatment. They can have significant interpersonal problems and easily feel slighted, which, of course, as we're talking through this, uh, just to give some more root cause analysis here, of course, somebody who's narcissistic is going to have a pattern of interpersonal problems because if you don't take ownership for making mistakes, then how can you have a relationship with someone? No one's perfect, but a narcissist more so believes that they're always in the right and can easily feel slighted, and so they just decide to end a relationship or quit the job or um, quit the PTA parent group because all the parents don't agree with them. It can really manifest in so many different ways. Sometimes narcissists can even react with rage or contempt and then try to belittle the other person to make themselves appear superior. There is a big 
you know, kind of situation where narcissists have difficulty regulating emotions and behaviors. So sometimes there can be that quick display of anger at the first onset of criticism. They can experience major problems dealing with stress and adapting to change and feel very depressed and moody because they fall short of perfection. It's all a facade when it comes to being a narcissist. They want to appear perfect, and a lot of times they do present as very well, perhaps very charming. As a result, this is reinforced because, as I've already said, they may get put into positions of power in the workplace where they, they continue to rise through um, and get promotions. But at the first onset of feeling slighted, they can slip into that sense of moodiness or feel depressed. And here's the, here's the tenant. Here's the key caveat of narcissism. At the root of it, a narcissistic person has these very secret and very deep, deep-seated feelings of insecurity, shame, vulnerability, and humiliation. If you look back at a narcissist and how um, they come to be, how they come to develop this narcissistic personality disorder, it, it runs deep. It runs back into their family of upbringing, how they were raised, having difficult parent-child relationships themselves with either excessive adoration or excessive criticism. There can even be a genetic component and then a neurobiological component, so the connection between the brain, behavior, and thinking. So I wanted to share that those are literally many of the criteria from, um, you know, as I've said, mayoclinic.org, which really outlines what narcissistic personality disorder is. But what are things that you as an individual, so maybe you're hearing those and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I, I recognize that my mother was narcissistic or my father was or, you know, currently my partner is. In almost, um, uh, almost all relationships, there are certain things that will happen that you as the person on the receiving end should be aware of. And so I'm pulling some of these from psychologytoday.com, toxic relationships, how to spot narcissistic abuse. And let me just add, when I was researching for this episode, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of articles, research, information, all on narcissism because it is a real problem. And a narcissist is skilled in causing their victim to feel that it's in the victim. It's all in your head, that they're not doing anything wrong. It's all what you are doing. And so I think largely when you're in a relationship with somebody who is a narcissist, it can go unreported or you you, you kind of have issues recognizing what's going on, which leads me to talk about some of these challenges of being in a relationship with someone who's narcissist, uh, uh, narcissistic. Some of these barriers can be just clearly identifying what's going on, what's happening. Because some of these traits of the emotional and mental abuse can be very covert. They're not sometimes very blaring and in your face. The second challenge is to even be able to build a support system. The third challenge can be even learning how to strengthen and protect yourself. So 
we know that little t trauma, it can change the way your brain functions and starts to think. And when you experience ongoing episodes of emotional abuse, it starts to cause you to second guess yourself and changes the way that your worldview is. So therefore, the barrier can be even understanding how to strengthen and start to protect yourself moving forward. And so I hope that by listening to this episode today, if you know someone who has undergone narcissistic abuse, please share this with them. Or if you yourself has, I just want you to feel empowered to reach out and get help. It's not all in your head. These things happen. And so when we talk about what is narcissistic abuse, it can be emotional, mental, physical, financial, sexual, or even spiritual. And so some of the examples that psychology today gives to us is whether you have identified them or may not have identified them, sometimes abuse happens for such a long, lengthy period of time that it starts to become normalized to you. It starts to become your thought process that, oh, all relationships are like this when it's not. And so some of these things to really be on your level of awareness is that Verbal abuse can include, once again, that word belittling. And when I say belittling, it's making you feel small. It's making you feel insignificant, that you're stupid, that you have something wrong with you. It's not even taking into account your ideas on a situation because the other person is making you feel insignificant. It can also come in the forms of being bullying, accusing, blaming, shaming, demanding, ordering, interrupting, name-calling, being very sarcastic, being rageful, and just blocking you. So understand that these things can surface. There, There is not one way that verbal abuse comes out, but the, this is a great list to go ahead and, and get you thinking. This next one is one that's tricky, and it's manipulation. So when I talk about manipulation, it's really the indirect influence on someone to behave in a way that will further the goal of the manipulator. So let's go back to one of those criterions of narcissistic personality disorder. They are experts in taking advantage of other people for their own benefit. And so they become very skilled at being manipulative because it's going to further the goal of them. And so it could be in a very indirect way that they they say a couple things to you. You know, they really try to get under your skin because they're trying to change the way that you behave. Or it can even be covert aggression. So it can be um you know, where they just come out at you and use words that are very intimidating and are outright, you know, it's emotional abuse. It's that name calling to try to get you to be more submissive. But the piece I really want to tackle into is that old analogy, that old phrase of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Clothing, and I think about the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde um, comparison. I will often use that when I educate people on what narcissism looks like. So on the surface, sometimes. 
words that a narcissist use can seem kind of harmless. It's it can even come across as like a backhanded compliment, and so you don't really know, you know, what is this about? Surely they didn't mean that. But underneath, you feel demeaned or even a sense of hostile intent. So that's where I even think about that passive-aggressive communication that can come about. So if you experienced this kind of manipulation growing up, as an adult, it may have it may just seem like your norm. You may just think that passive aggressive communication is par for the course that that's you know somebody says one thing but they actually mean another and you're left feeling confused we always gravitate towards what feels familiar and so think of that wolf in sheep's clothing where on the outset the person you know may make a couple statements that are questionable but they're not outright overtly aggressive, and it only causes further confusion. That's all in an attempt to manipulate. The next experience that you may have had being in a relationship with a narcissist is a sense of emotional blackmail. Emotional blackmail occurs when there are threats, there is the use of anger or brute force. There are warnings, intimidation, or even punishment. And punishment can come in the form of silent treatment. It can come in the form of cutting you off financially, using holding finances over your head so that you'll behave in a certain way. It is 100% a form of a man- manipulation that is meant to garner control and provoke a sense of self-doubt within you. You may even experience fear, obligation, or guilt, which sometimes is referred to as fog. So fearfulness of the person, what will happen if I leave them, or as a child or even an an adult child of somebody who's a narcissist, that fear of what will happen if I cut them off because it's so toxic, what will they do? Will that, you know, in some cases, a grandparent will try to come after, you know, your kids and take them away. I mean, there have there's a whole gamut of different things that can happen. Um, but feeling that fear or that sense of obligation to always comply. And then of course the guilt, the guilt over over what this person is trying to tell you. And if you don't want to comply or do what they're saying, that that guilt. Now, this next one is so big, I actually am going to expound upon it. But gaslighting is par for the course when you are dealing with somebody who is a narcissist. And at its core, gaslighting occurs when that other person intentionally makes you distrust your perceptions of reality or believe that you're mentally incompetent. So the term gaslighting, and this is also taken from psychologytoday.com, the basics of gaslighting, Believe it or not, it stems way back to 1938 when a play, and then eventually it became a movie, it's called Gaslight, occurred. And in this movie, the man, and I I think I've talked about this before on Living Freely, but real quickly, just a quick review, is that the, you know, this was a heterosexual relationship and the man started to completely make his partner feel as if she was mentally incompetent or losing her mind, so to speak, by flipping on the gaslight in the home on and off, which would cause her to feel confused because she wasn't aware of this gaslight, you know, being 
even a part of their home. And so she would say, I I saw the light come on. And he'd say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And it eventually caused her to become just so confused and isolated and fearful that something really bad was going on. And so that's the origin of gaslighting. But gaslighting can occur in personal or professional relationships. So especially in professional relationships where somebody may say, oh, I did that. I've already done that. And you know they have not done something. They have absolutely not done the project or not written whatever they needed to write. But they're they're telling you clear as day that they have done it. I mean, it's a complete denial or, or taking that ownership or responsibility. And oftentimes victims, you people on the receiving end are targeted at the core of their being. So their sense of identity and self-worth is kind of at that target. And gaslighting can be insidious. And that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about this in relation to being in a relationship with a narcissist. So a relationship with a gaslighter really seems to start out very well. And in fact, with most people who are abusive, every they're on their best behavior. They're trying to get you to their claws into you. And I know that sounds dramatic, but they're trying to really emotionally get you connected to them. And they may praise you on a first date and then immediately start confiding in you. And this sense of disclosure before any true intimacy has been established ultimately establishes trust quickly. They're opening up to you. They're sharing with you their story. And it's part of a tactic that can be known as love bombing. So the more quickly that a victim becomes enamored, the more quickly the next phase of the manipulation can begin. As you can see, this is why I'm so enthralled with this topic because it is so psychological. It's so manipulative in nature. And the more that you know about it, the better it is for you. So a gaslighter's tactics, they will initially start to lie about simple things, just really little tiny things. So as you can see in the workplace, this can play out with your partner, with a family member, with a parent. But then the volume of misinformation soon grows. And the gaslighter may start to accuse the victim of lying if he or she questions the narrative. It is really, you know, intense. And they will start to deploy occasional positive reinforcement to confuse the victim. But at the same time, they may also attempt to turn others against the victim, even their own friends and family, by telling them that the victim is lying or is just even being flat out delusional. And um, just know that this is a common experience. And once again, because it can be such a slow, insidious experience, Gaslighting is one that can be missed. And because there are those, you know, intermittent forms of positive reinforcement that are thrown in by the abuser, they may they may, you know, shower you with quick love and attention. That's what makes it even more confusing because then they're they're, you know, behind your back doing something completely different. So, how to know if you're being gaslighted? Typically, you'll experience increased self-doubt as a gaslighter insists that what he or she remembers, thinks, and feels is wrong. 
then the manipulative individual will start to introduce more lies into even more sensitive arenas aiming to disrupt and distort foundational aspects of the victim's being, wearing them down and establishing that sense of confusion, which then almost in a way starts to force them to rely on the gaslighter's version of reality. So if you find that you're in this situation, I you know, immediately, I, I always encourage you to get plugged in with an individual counselor. So somebody who has a neutral outlook on the situation, who can help you remember even certain details and events and help you recreate and own your sense of perception and reality, because that gaslighter is an ex- expert manipulator. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes the person who is the abuser it can be possible for that individual to manipulate someone without even realizing that they're doing so because their level of self-awareness is so skewed. It does not excuse this behavior and it does not make it okay. But it is something that will make it very hard to have a relationship or to employ a person who is manipulative and engages in gaslighting or be a coworker with someone who's like this or a family member. Um, Because if a person, as I've said, can't take ownership and responsibility for their behavior, the relationship can't progress. No one's perfect. So gaslighting is a huge one. I just really, really wanted you to know about this. I'm going to go through a couple more other ways to spot narcissistic abuse so that you can even be better equipped to recognize if something like this is happening. So a couple other things to keep on your awareness is that sometimes narcissistic abuse can come in the form of competition. So feeling a sense of um, one-upping so that the other person is trying to be on top. And this can even happen sometimes through unethical means. Cheating on a game or they, they just, or, you know, doing something unethical in the workplace, they are just so scared of being wrong or accepting responsibility for a fault that it can really lead them to go to their own unethical way, stealing, um, not lying to you about finances, things of that, that nature. So there can, without a shadow of a doubt, also be sabotage, so disruptive interference with your endeavors or relationships for the purpose of revenge or personal advantage, lying without a shadow of a doubt too, so that persistent deception to avoid responsibility or achieve what the narcissist wants to see happen, withholding information or even money, sex, communication, or affection from you to as an attempt to control. Neglect is a big one. Ignoring the needs of a child for whom the abuser is responsible. I can I see this play out a lot in parents who are narcissistic. They, you know, maybe you as a child felt neglected emotionally or even physically. This can even escalate to the form of child endangerment. So placing or leaving a child in a dangerous situation. And then we've got something kind of on the flip side where there can be privacy invasion. Ignoring your boundaries by looking through your phone, your mail, stalking, you know, ignoring privacy that you've requested. And then we know that a narcissist is so under under it all, like I've said, that ego is so fragile that 
any attempt to criticize them, it can cause them to respond in a way where they attempt to slander you or assassinate your character. So if you're in a romantic relationship with somebody who is narcissistic, they may go behind your back and contact your family and talk about how bad of a person you are. They may outright lie. And in the workplace, the same thing can play out. They're going and talking about you to other people. So spreading those malicious gossip or lies about you to other people. And there's also violence. So whereas, you know, they may block your movement, prevent you from leaving the room, financial abuse, as we have talked about, so controlling you through your your finances or trying to take your finances. And then last but not least, and this is, you know, keen on in any abusive relationship, but there can be the attempt to isolate you. So make you stop talking to your family and friends or access outside services to support through control. Um, and so, you know, people who would support you, they try to remove that because that's when the total domination occurs. So if your partner is ever telling you, you know, you are not allowed to have any contact with anybody else, these are all red flags. And so I, I'm not sharing any of these to insert you know, fear in any of you, but the more that you know, the better it is for you. I feel like a broken record. I know I keep saying that, but it's so true because this is a prevalent form of emotional abuse, sometimes escalates to physical. And as I've already said, abuse in in and of itself can be tricky. And sometimes because it can start off so slow and you really have fallen in love with this person or it's your parent and you want to love them, you want that sense of approval, it it can, you know, I don't want to say cause you to turn your head, but it can cause you to really want the best in that other person so badly that maybe you're, you're not actively recognizing what's going on. So... In giving some strategies and tips for recovery, let's say that you're hearing this and you're recognizing that a lot of this has happened to you in your life at some point, or maybe it's going on currently. The first step is, and these are taken from healthline.com, nine tips for narcissistic abuse recovery. We have to acknowledge and accept that the abuse has happened. This can be a process, but we have to acknowledge that these things are happening. So recognizing that there was the experience of abuse, whether it was from your romantic partner, a family member, or a friend, is going to be a vital first step in recovery. And I want you to make sure that you do have support when you start to acknowledge that the abuse was happening. This is from a mental health professional, you know, getting that support from a mental health counselor, having a friend or family member who you can trust. Because in these beginning stages of the healing process, you might have a hard time setting aside rationalizations and even excuses for the other person's behavior. And you may even be you know, willing to take that blame onto yourself, which is what so many survivors do, is they blame themselves. As long as it means that you don't have to admit that someone who you love intentionally hurt you. So this is this is part of it. This is normal. This is completely understandable. Denial is in many ways a form of self-protection. And when you love someone, denying that they would ever try to intentionally hurt you is kind of the brain's way of 
starting to organize it. And it's, it's also just tough to accept that someone just doesn't seem to care when they hurt other people. It, it's really so backwards to what that human dynamic should be, you know, of being empathetic. And so when you're going through this, it can be really easy to just stay in that denial. So start to arm yourself with education about narcissistic behaviors and know that some mental health issues don't excuse abuse at all. So if your partner, if your family member has suffered from narcissistic personality disorder, that doesn't excuse the abuse ever. So learn to identify the tactics that are used by people with narcissism, and this can make it easier to come to terms with your own experiences. The next strategy I want you to employ is to set your boundaries and state them clearly. So whenever possible, it is recommended to try to cut off all contact with the individual who has been narcissistic or is a narcissist, going no contact isn't just a boundary for them. It's also a boundary for you and one that absolutely you may find very difficult at first, especially if you have a history with this person. It's common to feel tempted to reach out or respond to phone calls and messages. So we have to remember that when you try to set a boundary with a narcissist, they're going to push that boundary. They're going to even be very manipulative and say what you want them to say. They're going to do what's worked in the past, whether it's pull at your heartstrings or get really loud with you because they know that that level of intimidation typically will cause you to back down. So this is where that no contact approach can be really helpful, especially in those early stages where you're still feeling on shaky ground. So whether it's blocking their number, blocking the email address, social media accounts, it can really help to, you know, you avoid giving into a temptation of keeping contact going. So um Last but not least, so in order to create really a sense of space and distance for yourself, especially when you're healing, because that's when you're, you can be the most vulnerable and fragile, is to consider personal boundaries. So not sharing any personal information. And if you do have to communicate with them, maybe you two share a child, it is limiting communication to only one platform. So I suggest something like an email address or um, you know, a WhatsApp, even something where there's a written dialogue, you're not having to get on the phone with them because that's when you know you get into a conversation, maybe you hear their voice, it reminds you of the good times. So then you start to kind of, you know re-allow them to come back into your life. I, I like written communication um, just to keep it succinct. And especially if it's a colleague, this is always a great tactic. So instead of, or if you do have to have a meeting, having somebody else there who can bear witness so that no further gaslighting occurs, or just have that email address or email um, communication. So so definitely setting those boundaries and stating them clearly and living them, living them, creating those concrete boundaries and then continuing to be consistent with them. The next piece is when overcoming narcissistic abuse and recovering, we have to prepare for complex emotions that are going to arise. 
We all know that most breakups in general involve painful feelings, so that grief and loss, shock, anger, sadness, or even feelings of depression, even if it's kind of a, a breakup with a family member who you know that that interaction is just so toxic and has been abusive for so many years, all don't do not be surprised if all of these feelings come back. So feelings of sadness, that grief, the anger, and even the emotional distress that can come from it, the anxiety, fear. There can be some paranoia. What are they going to do to me? That sense of fog, fear, obligation, and guilt over ending the relationship. And then shame. So there's a lot of trauma that can come from a toxic relationship, which can be part of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And we know that toxic people can cause so much pain. And they also have a real knack for getting you to believe that their reality is the reality of the situation and you're just confused. And they may use apologies and tearfulness and write you letters professing their love and saying, I'm so sorry. And it, it, it just can be very confusing time. So recognize that complex emotions are going to come up. And this is why, again, I cannot impress upon you enough to have a mental health therapist where you can talk through all of the emotions that are happening, and then just have that neutral objective person kind of remind you of the scenarios that have already occurred. I would even encourage you as part of narrative therapy, sometimes I encourage clients to journal out certain situations that occurred because the mind can be really funny. It can either really latch on to super negative events that have happened or in the you know a relationship that's toxic it can also latch on to the things that were really positive and so you start to lose sight of all that toxicity so sometimes just writing it down and having that reference point again i do encourage you to do this with the support of a therapist but if you are a writer or a journaler sometimes this can be very helpful so the final two ways that the recovery process can start to happen and things that you can do is reclaim your sense of identity. When you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it is very, very common to feel as if you are completely disconnected with who you are. For so long, you've maybe had to walk on eggshells. You've had to try to say the right thing. You've had to put your own needs aside for the sake of keeping your partner happy that you lose sight of what even makes you happy and who you are as a person. Your personality may be totally different now than it was whenever you first met that abusive individual. So, and the, like I said, this can all be because people with narcissistic traits often expect others to behave in certain ways. So they may even harshly belittle or criticize you for failing to meet these standards. And if you have changed your looks, your sense of style, your personality, or felt that you've lost things that you used to value as a result of this manipulation, it's par for the course that you might not feel like you even any longer know yourself very well. So part of this recovery process involves you getting reacquainted with you. In figuring out what you enjoy, how you want to spend your time, and who you want to spend your time with. 
I recommend going back in the memory bank, thinking about who you were pre-relationship with this person. I realize that this is going to work a whole lot better if um, it was somebody in the workplace or it was a romantic relationship. If it was your family member, this is going to be a little bit different because chances are you probably had a relationship with a family member your whole life. But in the sake of romantic relationships, consider who you were before you met that person. Who were you when you were at your most happiest? And you can do this even if you've had periodic breaks in time from a toxic family member. Who were you and what made you happy in those moments where you were not with that narcissistic person? Write it down. Journal it. Meditate it. Let's get you back to being that person. In this healing process, just recognize that self-exploration and rebuilding your relationship with you can make you feel pretty vulnerable. It can make you feel like you're on shaky ground. And so again, broken record over here, I want you to consider getting plugged in with a therapist who can help support you through this process. But also surrounding yourself with people who love you that will also celebrate you for who you are and help you reclaim your new sense of identity. Last but not least, always, 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 you are not going to be surprised to hear me say this because I'm such a huge advocate, but I want you to practice self-compassion. I hear this sometimes, especially in these recovery from narcissistic abusive relationships where a person will start to beat themselves up. I can't believe I spent that much time with them. I can't believe I didn't recognize the signs. What was I thinking? My kids were there. What was I doing? I want you to practice self-compassion because oftentimes abuse of any kind doesn't happen on that first date. It happens over time and it's slow and it trickles in and they often will up that ante over a period of time. Then before you know it, you just feel like a shell of who you used to be. So once you acknowledge what your relationship was and that it was in fact abusive, this criticism may start to come up. So I want you to always remember, absolutely no one deserves abuse. Even if there were situations where you did lose your temper and, you know, maybe you did yell or get upset, it is it in no way shape or form warrants any kind of abuse where there's physical acts or name calling or any of that. We have to let that other narcissistic person accept responsibility for their own behavior. Now is not the time for you to self-blame and take responsibility for someone else's behavior that is totally outside of your control. So instead of blaming yourself for falling falling for manipulation or even judging yourself for letting that other person mistreat you for so long, let's practice some self-forgiveness and let's recognize that you can't change the past and you can't change another person's behavior or actions, but you do have power over yourself. And now you have complete power over the thoughts that you have, how you live your life, moving forward, who you choose to be with. And I want you to make the choice to honor your needs for self-respect, for trying to achieve your sense of happiness, and then practicing your own sense of healthy self-love. This is where you really, really get keen on praising yourself for the choice to end the relationship and 
encourage yourself to stand behind the decision that you chose you in this situation. You are brave and you are loved and you are strong. And even if you have to come up with a mantra that you can constantly tell yourself in these moments where you start to have those doubts or your brain goes back into that place of only focusing on the positives instead of remembering that relationship for what it was, or you feel really lonely and you consider reaching out to that ex or to that family member that was so toxic. Let's remind yourself of the reasons why you're choosing to end the relationship. So as you can see, the relationship with someone who is a narcissist is very complex. There are a lot of intricate dynamics at play here, and it can be confusing. It can be a long-term series of events that happens over a long period of time. You, There may be a lot of that self-doubt, especially and. Most often there is that gaslighting that occurs, but especially when those the gaslighting behaviors happen. So always, always feel empowered to reach out to get support as you are attempting to get out of a relationship with someone who's a narcissist or make the choice to leave them or you know disconnect with somebody who's in your workplace who is a narcissist or engages in that gaslighting. It is so important. It is so important. And so I'm so glad to bring even more awareness to narcissistic abuse recovery because it's real and it happens. And I hope that you have found this information helpful today. I hope wherever you are in your journey that you are taking care of yourself and and practicing that almighty self-care and self-love. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you are living well and being well. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Living Freely Podcast, where we are bringing you all of the down-to-earth and realistic information on achieving optimal mental health. Like what you've heard, consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can be enjoyed by other listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We will see you next week.